Morning, church. How's everyone doing today? Does anybody need to get a stretch in, lay down, get a nap in? Do any of that? Hey, just in case I haven't said in a while, I appreciate the majority of the youth group sitting down here. Thanks for sitting down front. You encourage me. And those of you who sit with them, you just blend right in. So that's good. I like the way that works. Hey, I don't know if you noticed the uh, thermometer out in the foyer, but, you know, we have a $75,000 debt challenge on the carrying and sharing. We're at $30,000, so isn't that awesome? And you can clap, that's okay. As you can tell, the number keeps going up. You don't need to wait till the next carrying and sharing dollar day. You can if you want. It'll be a couple months down the road, but if you want to put money in the box, please be sure and put um, carrying and sharing debt challenge, otherwise it goes somewhere else and gets lost in the shuffle. If you put money in the regular contribution plate for carrying and sharing debt challenge and you write that on the memo, it might get lost in the challenge. Our, Our folks that count the money try their best to sort stuff out. The best thing would be to put it in an envelope and put it in the all-purpose box. That would be awesome, or hand it to me or Rodney, one of the elders. That would be great. But we're at $30,000. That's just, like, super amazing awesome. We said when we started this, we didn't know how we were going to do this because we challenge you in so many ways, and you just continue to give generously to the regular contribution, to missions, to special contributions, to dollar days, to debt challenges. You're just amazing. So I wanted to let you know... How amazing you continue to be. There's a thermometer out there. We just keep pulling tape. Can't wait till we pull the, uh, the last one. Can we? Rick made that thing. Rick, can we burn that after that? Can, like a burning a... That'd be okay. So. <clears throat> hey, when I was growing up, there was a show on TV. And there's, um, <clears throat> there's things about shows that you watch that certain phrases are familiar. They just stick with you. And they're just kind of etched on your brain. So some of you will know this. I could go ahead and, and start saying this, but I'm going to put it up here for your benefit anyway. This show always started out with the captain's oath. You know what I'm talking about. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. And and that's why a majority of people like watching it, because they would boldly go each week and find new people and new civilizations, almost as if Captain Kirk felt empowered to go. He would boldly go into places he'd never been before. We're in a study of the book of Acts, and we're calling it Empowered to Witness, and we're taking that from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which says, when Jesus tells them, you will receive power, and I know I keep saying this, but I just want to keep driving it home, you'll receive dunamis, you'll receive dynamite, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's not our power that God sends us out into the world. God empowers us. He fills us with His Spirit Not just to be witnesses, but to be witnesses for Jesus. This is Jesus talking. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And they did that. We've seen that in Acts. In all Judea and Samaria. And we've seen that. And we're going to the ends of the earth. We're going to be in Acts 17 today. And that's exactly what they did. They had that power. And they would boldly go out into their community. So we read in Acts chapter 4... 
Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracles, signs, and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word boldly. So God's calling us to go out into all the world and to speak boldly, to boldly go into our world and into our communities. And that's what we have been seeing through the book of Acts because they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, the the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, when I was growing up, we didn't hear much about the Holy Ghost. We might not even call it the Holy Ghost. We might just say it or He, because we didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Almost as if we didn't want to study the Holy Spirit. Almost as if it was just too, I don't know, out there. So I didn't grow up hearing very many sermons on the Holy Spirit. But we've not been afraid as we've been going through Acts to notice that everything that God does in the book of Acts, He does through His Spirit. And He uses His Spirit to empower people to be witnesses. And that's exactly what they've been doing. And they've been boldly going into their communities. And they've been empowered to be witnesses. You know, it's relatively easy, relatively easy to be bold in a group like this. To come together as God's people. To come together as a church. To be in a situation with people of like mind. We relatively believe the same things. We at least bring the same Bible. It's relatively easy easy to be bold in here. But to go out into the world, wow, that's when we need to pray for boldness. That's when we really need boldness. That's when we really need the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't want us to do to go into the world alone. God doesn't say, hey, just go get them. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit so that when you go out there, you can pray for boldness and I'll give you boldness. So He doesn't expect us to do that alone. So we're going to be in Acts 17 and here's what's going on. When they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue, as was his custom. We've been saying that. When Paul hit town, Paul hit the synagogues. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. So, when you preach boldly, when you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, when you're empowered, there are results. People are going to respond. And that's what's happening here. Paul's preaching, and he's preaching boldly, and people are responding. But not everyone is as responsive. So you keep reading, the Jews were jealous. You remember why they're jealous? If you haven't been here the last two weeks, go to our website, www.pinetreechurch.org. There's all kinds of great stuff on there, and you can download sermons. We upload those each week. But the last two weeks, God has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And some Jews don't like that. They're jealous. They don't want the Gentiles in the church. They don't want the Gentiles believing the same kind of stuff. They think the Gentiles ought to follow all the laws they did, so some Jews are jealous. 
So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob. They started a riot. They rushed to Jason's house. They're looking for Paul and Silas so they can bring them out. They can't find them, so they drag Jason out and take him before the city officials. The crowd's thrown into turmoil, and they made Jason and the others post bond, and then they let them go. Listen, God has opened the door, and here's the response of church-going religious people. These are God's people. These are Jewish people. These are the synagogue-going people. And they're throwing people into turmoil and causing riots. Because they didn't want God to open that door. But God doesn't need our permission when He opens doors. God opens doors, and we're supposed to be receptive to the people who are coming in. So that's what's going on here. What does Paul do? Paul just keeps right on preaching. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went and agitated the crowds, and they're stirring the crowds up. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue, and he reasoned in the marketplace. Athens, one of the most prominent cities in the Roman Empire. One of the three great university cities in the Roman Empire. A center of philosophy and religion and great thinking. You think of Athens and you think of Socrates. When you think of Athens, you think of Athena. You think of her temple, the Parthenon, built on the Acropolis. When you think of Athens, on every street corner, on every building, on every hill, every time you turned around, There's a God and a goddess. You're surrounded by gods and goddesses. In fact, the Roman satirist Petronius said it was easier to find a god than a man in Athens. They were everywhere. And Paul's greatly distressed. Paul spends some time in the synagogue. Paul spends some time in the marketplace. That's what we're going to drive home today. Paul didn't just stay inside the church walls. He didn't stay inside the synagogue walls. He went out into the community. He went out into the marketplace. He went out where the people were. And he sees all these gods and goddesses. And he's greatly distressed. He's provoked. When you read in the Old Testament, it's the same Greek word from the Old Testament. When, God, when the people had the golden calf and they provoked the Lord to anger... Same word. Paul is provoked. He's greatly distressed. And so, here's what's going on in Athens. He's going to do some preaching, and he's going to boldly preach. So here's some philosophers, some Epicureans and some Stoic philosophers begin to dispute with him. Some of them ask, what's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus in the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what it is you're talking about. So, you're going to hear this over and over today. You've got brochures all around you today that have our goals. Paul is going to go into the marketplace. He's not going to spend time in the synagogue. He's also going to spend time where the people are. And he finds these kinds of people. It's easy to be bold in the synagogue because all the people are coming to hear what you want to preach. But when you go into the marketplace, you're encountering a plethora of ideas and religions and philosophies and and all kinds of stuff. Again, remember, this is the center of influence. 
and he encounters these philosophers, all the more reason to preach boldly and to pray for boldness. And that's exactly what he does. He engages the people in the marketplace. Listen, this, this is not Acts 2. This is not everybody coming together. This is not 3,000 people responding to the message. This is in the marketplace. You remember the marketplace? That's where they went and rounded up some bad characters. And he's out in the marketplace. And that's where he's preaching. And he preaches a phenomenal sermon. So let me just give you his sermon. His sermon is just ten verses. Are you ready? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to make known to you. Now I'm going to notice several things about this sermon. Nowhere does he condemn all the gods and goddesses. Nowhere does he condemn the idolatry. In fact, he's almost very complimentary. I see that you're very religious. You're so religious that you've got an insurance policy to an unknown God. They had so many idols just in case. They had an idol to worship this and this and so, so that the gods and the wrath of the gods wouldn't come down on them. And just in case we missed one, hey, here's one to an unknown God. Paul says, hey... I appreciate you being so religious. You've got one to a God you don't even know. Can I tell you about the God you don't even know? And he keeps preaching. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he, give, he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design. Skill in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. He set a day when He'll judge the world with justice by the man He's appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. Now, you can use this sermon. Here's what I want you to notice. He doesn't quote a single Scripture, and yet Scripture is woven all throughout this sermon. The only people He quotes are two of their poets. He quotes two of their poets to preach his sermon. Not a single scripture. He goes from creation to resurrection in ten verses and doesn't quote a scripture. That's what you do in the marketplace. When people might not believe what you believe. When people aren't as receptive as you would want them to be. Not one time is he judgmental. Not one time is he condemning. He doesn't bash. He doesn't send anyone to hell. He just preaches from creation to resurrection. Without quoting a single verse, he mentions that God is not made, that God is the maker. Without quoting a single verse, he said God's not far away. God is not distant. God wants us to seek Him. God wants to be in relationship. Without quoting a single verse, He calls them to repentance and mentions the judgment. Without quoting a single verse, He mentions the resurrection and how God raised Jesus from the dead. Without quoting a single verse. 
And He doesn't judge or condemn in any way. Of all the places you could, with all the idols that are surrounding Him, I can almost imagine He's saying, hey, I can see that you're very religious. I'm just looking at all these idols. But you know what? The God that you don't know that I'm going to tell you about, He's not a stone. He's not an image. He's not made by hands. A phenomenal sermon from Acts. And He boldly preaches and witnesses for Jesus. He goes into the marketplace and He goes right where the people are in the midst of their idolatry and says, hey, can I talk to you about idolatry and gods? So, I went way fast to get to what I really want to say. I skipped a verse. I don't know if you noticed that. Verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing. Doing nothing but talking. Doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I hope that doesn't describe the church today. We're just going to come together and do nothing but talk. Do nothing but listen. Do nothing but, hey, we need to have another class. Nothing against the classes. Nothing against Bible study. But if we're doing nothing but that, then we're doing nothing. Because God didn't establish the church so that we would come together. God established the church so that we would go out into the marketplace, which is what Paul's doing here. I don't want to be a church that's known for doing nothing inside these walls. So you've got, again... We pass this out. I preached a sermon. I'm going to preach more sermons this year. These are our goals. Helping people grow into fully devoted Christ followers. How are we going to do that? We're going to gather. We're going to connect. We're going to serve. I want to notice the last one today. We're going to engage. We will engage with our world. You can't do that if you stay inside these walls. We will engage with our world and be intentional and strategically going into various spheres of influence, showing others the love of Jesus, and telling others what God has done for us. Listen, do you think there's any idolatry in our world today, just like Paul encountered in the marketplace? You know, idolatry is simply simply putting a person thing in the place where God belongs. Idolatry is simply worshiping something more than we worship God. So today's idols, fame... Wealth, power, sex, food, alcohol, drugs, recreation, television, possessions. People can be idols. Parents can be idols. Family can be idols. Children can be idols. Even church, religion, and our Christian service, we can worship what we do. You think there's any idolatry today? Take those ten verses into your sphere of influence. And talk to people about, hey, I see that you're worshiping all kinds of idols. Don't be judgmental. Don't be condemning. Paul wasn't. It's not our place to. It's our place to preach Jesus. It's God's place to judge and condemn. We're just supposed to be bold witnesses as we engage with our world. Again, we can engage with our world inside these walls. The people we need to engage with the most are outside these walls today. I'm all for worship. I love worship. I love Bible class. I love being with you. But it's easy being bold with you. We want to challenge you. It's one of our goals to engage with the world. 
And we need to pray for boldness. And we need to be empowered by God to do that. That's the only way we can do that. So how do we engage with our world? Just some suggestions. I'm just going to scratch the surface. I don't have anywhere close to all the ideas. I just want to challenge us to engage the world. Do you think there's anybody in the world that's having some problems with their marriages, finances, raising their kids in relationships? We don't even have to leave this room to have that. But there's people in the world that are having problems with marriages and finances and raising their kids in relationships. These are some of the things that we need to be providing as a church. Okay, so we don't engage with the world. Could we at least offer some stuff here to fit them where they are? Maybe we change our Wednesday night format so that we help people with marriages, finances, raising their kids in relationships. Maybe here in the midst of tax season with people struggling about taxes, we get some of our tax folks together and we have some tax classes and tax help up here at the church. We need to be engaging with our world. They're not flocking in based on what we're doing. Rick Warren, when he went out and started Saddleback Community Church, which is only running about, I don't know, 30,000 today, he went out and they knocked doors, and the first thing they said is, do you attend church anywhere? And if the people did, they went to knock on doors of people who didn't attend church, and they asked him, and he's got this survey, and you can read it in his book, Purpose Driven Church. One of the reasons people don't come to church is because church is no longer relevant. You know what would be relevant? We help people with marriages and finances and raising their kids in relationships. You think the gospel has anything to say about that? You think there's any good news in the Bible about that? I'm all for Bible study. I'm all for what we do. But if we're not engaging with the community, then we're coming in here and we're doing nothing but talking and listening. I'm not asking us to be unscriptural with what we do on Wednesday nights. I'm asking us to be scriptural and engage with the people in the community and offer stuff that would help them. Maybe we take a roll of quarters to the laundromats and we tell people, hey, could I pay for your laundry today? I I, I don't know if you've been to a laundromat in a while. There's people struggling just to have quarters to do laundry. Money to do laundry. And we've got our nice washers and dryers at home and we can do laundry two or three times a day and we can smell good and look good and there's people in our society that would just love a roll of quarters to do laundry maybe we go into maybe we engage with people in laundromats you 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 know i'm gonna have a chick-fil-a illustration you heard about the guy in abilene that dropped ten one hundred dollar bills at the drive-thru and serve the next 88 people. And you're thinking, why would I drop $1,000 to do something like that? Two reasons. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I'm thinking this is Scripture. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. One of the workers said, we had a lady who had had just an awful day. We told her what was going on and what the man had done. And she just started crying in the drive-thru. That's engaging in the community. We've got the money to do something like that. Okay, so you don't drop a thousand. Maybe you drop a hundred. Maybe you just pay for the person right behind you. Maybe you tell the person, hey, would you 
the, the person at the drive, at that person that's waiting on you, whatever you call that person, hey, I just want to pay for the people behind me. Would you just tell them um, Jesus loves? You say, well, that's illegal. Well, it's Chick Fil A. They're founded on Christian values. We need to engage in the community, church. It's easy to be bold in here. It's not as easy to be bold out there. I don't know what it is we need to do, but if we're not engaging with the community, maybe we need some more people. I'll tell you what, the caring and sharing, that debt challenge, everything we're talking about caring, you talk about engaging with the community. You're talking about engaging with people who are, however you want to say it, not being derogatory, less fortunate than us, don't have what we have. Go engage down at caring and sharing. They need help. They need people to engage. There's all kinds of ways that we can engage. We don't have to do it as a church. You can do that as your own calling, your own ministry. Nobody even has to know about it. You know how we can engage with the church? We have concerts like Okie Dokie Brothers, and most, at least 50% of the people who come in have never been into our church before. And then we had school supplies out there, and we engaged with the community and said, hey, you know what, we're not charging you anything. We just want to help you with some school supplies. You want to engage with the community? You ask any principal, teacher, administrator, anybody who works in the school, our schools need help. Nothing against teachers, administrators. Ask those folks about how dysfunctional families are these days. How dysfunctional kids are these days. The things my wife tells me that kids do these days, I would have never imagined when I was growing up, and we would have got our butt busted for hours. And she sees that every day. I don't know what the answer is, but we need to partner with schools. I'm thinking there's some good news in here that we can help some families, that we can help our community. We can fuss and gripe and moan all we want about how awful our world is. But if we're not going to engage in our world and tell them about Jesus, we have no reason to fuss and gripe and complain. I'm not talking about being judgmental. I'm not talking about condemning. I'm talking about being a witness for Jesus empowered to witness. I'm talking about wherever you go, you show Jesus. Whatever you do, you show Jesus. Wherever you talk to somebody, you show Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's what Paul did. You know why? We're fixing to sing a song because people need the Lord. They don't need all those other idols. They don't need all the things that they're serving. And when I talk about they... I'm talking about us. We all have idols. We have things we serve. Everybody worships something. You may worship at the restaurant today. Oh, this food is so good. People worship food. We just came off of Valentine's Day. People worship chocolate. It's okay one day a year. Listen, 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 church. These goals mean nothing. They're just words on paper. But we are called to engage with our community. And we are, we are called to engage with our world. Because people need the Lord. So we're going to sing that song. And while you're singing that song, I know you can multitask. You can chew gum and walk. This is an intelligent crowd right here. Here's what I want you to do when we sing, People Need the Lord. I want you to be thinking of somebody that you know in your sphere of influence that needs the Lord. And I want you to be praying while you're singing, Lord... Here's a person that needs the Lord. 
Would you empower me? Would you give me what I need to say? When I encounter them this week, when I cross paths with them, when I'm walking through my neighborhood, Lord, I know this person needs the Lord. Would you empower me? Because I know they need you. Engage with your neighbors. Engage in your community. Because people need the Lord. We offer the invitation of Jesus Christ today. It's not our invitation. It's His. It's not our church. It's His. These are not our words or my words. These are His. I read you Scripture today. So you can be like the Bereans in Acts 17. We didn't spend any time there. They didn't believe Paul, so they went home and studied the Scriptures to make sure what the Apostle Paul said was true. You're not going to offend me if you go home and read Scripture just to make sure what I'm saying is true. You should do that. So I just want you to know that we're offering the invitation of Jesus today. Not to join our church, but to join His church. Not to be one with us, but to be one with Jesus. So that you can repent of your sins. So that you confess the life that you've been living. So that you can be baptized and have your sins washed away by Jesus. And as we've been looking at in Acts, the good news about that, there's more to baptism than just forgiveness of sins. God says, I want to live in you. I want to be in you. I want to empower you. So if you need to respond to the invitation today, would you please do so as we stand and sing? People need the Lord.